Hello, my name is Wayne Jones. Welcome to Three More Minutes About Sam. This week's episode is called The English Language and Sam's Dictionary. The dictionary is one of Sam's works that probably has a lot more sort of lore around it than maybe any of his other works, if uh, the only exception might be the Rambler essays. Uh, it's something that a lot of people know about. Uh, they think about it as sort of, uh, you know, the first... Uh, dictionary in English. Um, uh, they know some of the words. Uh, there's and the other thing is that there's a lot of uh, stories associated with with the dictionary. A lot of things that happen, and part of that has to do with the fact that uh, Sam signed the contract to produce the dictionary in 1746, uh, but he didn't publish the dictionary until nine years later. So there's a very long period during which uh, a bunch of uh, publishers who had formed this kind of consortium to publish this huge work were very anxious for him to get it published uh, or, or to get it finished. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he was behind deadline, as he often was for, for many of his bigger works. This was also the era where, you know, it was very unusual for a man uh, just to sort of take on producing a dictionary. Uh, that just wasn't the way it was done. Um, he is not as if he worked solo. He had six amanuenses, uh, assistants, who helped him do the sort of the, you know, the practical uh, work. But, uh, you know, a typical way that a dictionary was produced around this time was like the French dictionary was, was being produced by the Académie Française. Um, and there's a there's a famous story about that where Johnson is kind of challenged on his deadline and saying you know uh, how you know how can you presume to be taking on this dictionary when there's a whole academy for the French language that that's uh, that that's producing a dictionary. In fact, the academy had already finished its, its dictionary, and there were forty members of the academy who took forty years to complete that dictionary. And uh, Johnson, playfully, of course, uh, when he was asked about that kind of comparison, said, uh, uh, "This is what this is what he said about that. This is the proportion. Let me see. Forty times forty is sixteen hundred." As three to sixteen hundred, so is the proportion of an Englishman to a Frenchman. So <laughs> obviously he's kidding there and uh, being uh, sarcastic, but uh, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of fun to think about. And the other thing too is that it, it does really illustrate something. If you sort of all joking aside, so to speak, uh, because this was a dictionary done in a very different way. It wasn't, or with a different mindset. It wasn't a sort of uh, an, a, an academic uh, body, the Académie, Académie Française, that was putting out this authoritative work in this sort of way, and it would take so long to do. This was a man putting together a very practical uh, dictionary for the, uh, for, for people. What, it, what people think of as the first dictionary, what scholars think of as the first dictionary of the English language is called a table alphabetical, 
which was compiled by a man named Robert Crawley in 1604, so uh, quite, a, quite a period before Sam did his work. And the distinguishing factor there is that that's the first dictionary in which there were English words, you know, monolingual English dictionary. English words were defined using English words. Before that, there were a lot of bilingual dictionaries where, you know, uh, Latin words were translated into English, but the table alphabetical in 1604 was the first monolingual dictionary of the English language. That being said, there are some innovations in Sam's dictionary that are firsts, frankly. And one of them is that uh, the, the table alphabetical, that dictionary, uh, defined only hard words. And you know, the, actually that term was used, you know, it would define hard words. That is basically words, it didn't have definitions for words that were in common usage. It was just the difficult words that were uh, uh, provided with definitions. So one of Johnson's innovations, frankly, was to uh, establish an English dictionary, to write, com uh, compile an English dictionary that had not only hard words, but regular words as well. The other innovation, and actually this is quite innovative, and is something that if, if people are aware of the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the, the authoritative source of the English language these days, and one of the great, not only works of you know dictionary scholarship ever, but one of the great works of scholarship that's ever been done in any language anywhere, the Oxford English Dictionary, it, is, it has adopted or it, it, it uses one of the things that Sam used uh, when he was compiling his dictionary. And what he did was basically to use quotations from other authors from, uh, in order to uh, put the definitions in context and to, as it were, justify the definitions or show the, the definitions in action. Uh, before that, for example, you would just have a word defined, and often you can buy lots of dictionaries these days. If you buy a small dictionary these days, you won't. You generally won't get quotes there, or you won't get quotes from authors. Sometimes you'll get examples, but the smaller the dictionary you buy, the more likely it is that it'll simply define the words, and you won't get any examples, and you certainly won't get quotations from uh, authors that are named and cited, for example. And uh, Johnson did that. So those two in innovations are very, very important, that it was covering not only hard words, but all words in the, in the English language, and the fact that he used quotations in order to uh, uh, justify or uh, illustrate uh, the definitions for, uh, for the reader. One of the other things that I find really fascinating about the dictionary has to do with two sort of uh, supplemental works that go along with it. When Johnson first uh, agreed to publish the dictionary, he, he published what he called a plan for the dictionary. That is, you know, what he would, what he, what he would do, what his, what his intentions were. And... Uh, I'll just, I've got just one line here to quote from that plan, and it'll sort of give you an idea of what he had in mind. Remember here, this is before he had even started doing the dictionary. This is just him in his head thinking about, this is what I will do. And uh, quote, I'll, here's the quote, starts here now. Uh, 
the chief intent of it is to preserve the purity and ascertain the meaning of the English idiom. So that's very important. That whole thing about purity, for example, uh, is something that, it's frankly an attitude that still persists to this very day. People often think of dictionaries as uh, you know, you'll hear such things as there's no such word or um, that word doesn't mean X because it derives in the wrong way or this letter got dropped and it really should be spelled this way, that kind of thing. And it betrays an attitude towards language that's very unrealistic. And the great thing about uh, Sam's work on the dictionary, and I, I really uh, give him credit for this, is that during the course, during those nine years of putting together the dictionary, he realized that preserving the purity was not only impossible, but not even a good idea for the language. And I have a, also a quotation, and this, this, this um, sentiment, this way of thinking about it, is in another work, in the, in the dictionary itself when he published it. He published a preface to the dictionary and that that thing has become a work on its own and in this preface he demonstrate how his demonstrates how his attitude towards uh, lexicography or the English language has changed and I'll just quote briefly from that so he basically in the preface makes a comparison between you know just as people can't be preserved neither can the language either and here's the quote when we see men grow old and die at a certain time, one after another, from century to century, we laugh at the elixir that promises to prolong life to a thousand years. And with equal justice may the lexicographer be derided, who being able to produce no example of a nation that has preserved their words and phrases from mutability, shall imagine that his dictionary can embalm his language. So that is obviously quite a change in attitude towards what he had felt uh, nine years previously or eight or nine years previously and is basically the way that uh, most serious, any dic any dictionary to be taken seriously these days is thought of. It's not, it's the, the, the dictionaries aren't aren't uh, works which, uh, you know, tell you the right thing or, uh, uh, you know, correct error, uh, correct um uh, errors because something, you know, the etymology doesn't derive correctly, therefore it shouldn't mean this technically. That is not what dictionaries do these days, or that is not what good dictionaries do. What they do, and they're often called descriptive dictionaries rather than prescriptive dictionaries, what dictionaries do is basically reflect the language as it's used currently. And that's basically fits very much in with the lesson that Johnson learned while he was compiling his dictionary. He learned that it was impossible to, as he says, embalm the language. You can't really preserve it. It's changing all the time. And uh, that is a good thing. That is a great thing. It's one of the things that I just revel in in the English language, the fact that it changes, uh, the fact that words get turned into other words that, uh, you know, as they say, nouns get verbed and verbs get nouned, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful language. And so uh, I think of it as being very muscular. 
uh, adaptable, uh, accepting, that sort of thing. And that, that's, uh, that's really the attitude in a, in a certain way of, of, of the way modern dictionaries are, are compiled these days. So I just had a couple more things I wanted to say. One is just the fact that you know, Johnson's Dictionary was published in 1755, and it, con it continued to be the authoritative dictionary for the English language well into the 19th century. And just to give you an idea of sort of timeline, I mentioned earlier about the Oxford English Dictionary, which is currently, you know, still available. It's actually a, a kind of a database now. Uh, I'm not sure if they still even even produce it in print, uh, although they used to. And uh, it was it got started in the late 19th century. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying, in fact, I don't really know whether one sort of replaced the other, that kind of simplicity, but well into the 19th century, Johnson's uh, Dictionary was, uh, was the authority that people relied on for uh, words in English. So I'll end with the, one of the great stories about the dictionary that concerns a man named uh, Lord Chesterfield. And he was the patron of the dictionary. And what that meant back in the 18th century was that, you know, he would bring, he was sort of the, uh, you know, the official supporter, as it were. And the idea was that his, uh, you know, his authority, his, uh, his status in society would uh, encourage people to buy it. It gave it a kind of an imprimatur that it wouldn't have otherwise. And, uh, uh, and he would get, you know, on his part, he would get mentioned in the dictionary and get all sort of the praise that uh, people of that sort like having. And uh, it turned out, though, that during the course of the many, many years in which Johnson was working on the dictionary, uh, he got no help at all or no attention from Lord Chesterfield. And there's a, you know, even to the extent of trying to visit him at his uh, his quarters. And there's a famous painting even of Johnson waiting <laughs> in a very surly way uh, to try to get in to see Lord Chesterfield. And it's really not a funny thing. And Johnson uh, wrote a letter to Lord Chesterfield, a public letter, published a letter to Lord Chesterfield that, that, that is very well known now and was known at the time. Uh, about this treatment, because the the thing that Lord Chesterfield did is that he helped him not at all while he was uh, uh, doing the dictionary, but when he knew that the dictionary was coming out, he there was this periodical called The World, and he published a couple of frankly very silly letters in The World, uh, you know, talking about the dictionary starting to come out. And that's all he'd done for the eight or nine years that, that Sam had uh, had had him as a patron. So <laughs> Sam being a person who uh, never hesitated to speak his mind, uh, but never in an angry way. It's always, uh, basically, I'm going to read to you parts of the letter. It's, it's a little bit lengthy, but I'll read parts of the letter that he wrote to Chesterfield. And what I like in it is basically the um, kind of the just the pure honesty of it and the fact that he's, you know, he's writing this to a lord and uh, and a patron. 
and uh, you know so he's sort of defying the social classes in that sort of way but the other thing I like about it is that it's not a you know it's not, not for example the kind of thrashing you'd get on Twitter or something like that where someone would just call you a bunch of names and uh, you know a whole bunch of other people would kind of pile on not like that it's, it's extremely controlled uh, but there's anger there and there's uh, disappointment there's hurt there's all sorts of things there but uh, uh, you know obviously he has such a control of the English language that uh, the letter comes out uh, uh, very well. So I'll, I'm going to read a few sections from that letter and, 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 uh, and we'll end up there. So here's how the letter starts. I have been lately informed by the proprietor of the world that two papers in which my dictionary is recommended to the public were written by your lordship. To be so distinguished is an honor which, being very little accustomed to favors from the great, I know not well how to receive or in what terms to acknowledge. When I had once addressed your lordship in public, I had exhausted all the art of pleasing which a retired and uncourtly scholar can possess. I had done all that I could, and no man is well pleased to have his all neglected, be it ever so little. Seven years, my lord, have now passed since I waited in your outward rooms or was repulsed from your door, during which time I have been pushing on my work through difficulties of which it is useless to complain, and have brought it at last to the verge of publication without one act of assistance, one word of encouragement, or one smile of, of favor. Such treatment I did not expect, for I never had a patron before. And then there's this bit. This is not the exact end of the letter, but uh, this is the, the near the end. Quote, Is not a patron, my lord, one who looks with unconcern on a man struggling for life in the water and, when he has reached ground, encumbers him with help? The notice which you have been pleased to take of my labors, had it been early, had been kind, but it has been delayed till I am indifferent and cannot enjoy it, till I am solitary and cannot impart it, till I am known and do not want it. I hope it is no very cynical asperity not to confess obligations where no benefit has been received, or to be unwilling that the public should consider me as owing that to a patron which providence has enabled me to do for myself. So there it is. I, I, I really think, uh, you know, that's just a masterful piece of writing. And uh, if you want to read the whole thing, it's not much longer than what I've just read. Uh, but just Google Lord Chesterfield Johnson Dictionary and you'll find, uh, you'll find it online, no problem. So... I'll end it there. Again, thank you very much for listening to Three More Minutes About Sam. I'll talk to you again next week.